welcome to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we help game masters explore new systems as we build and run their very first one-shots, and then circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can make our games even better. So many players want to take their turn running a game, but are thwarted by the same nagging questions. What if I'm no good? What if the adventure isn't fun? What if I forget the rules? What if? What if? What if? On this show, we seek to answer those questions, dispel those doubts, and provide a roadmap to anyone hoping to run their first game. And the best way to understand the process of learning is to take a peek behind the curtain and see what it really looks like to play your first game in a new system, warts and all. If you've ever played a TTRPG, you know that the hardest part of a game isn't calculating your Thaco score or building a world, it's trying to get a group of people together to play. What do you do when schedules just don't align and you're still hankering a game? It was this very question that led me to venture headlong into the world of solo RPGs. And my first stop on that journey was a lovely game called Anamnesis, and its creator has kindly agreed to be my guide. My guest today is an Emmy-nominated TTRPG designer and owner of Blinking Birch Games. Their games include Anamnesis, No Wizards Here, Six Figures Under, and the upcoming Death of the Author. And their TikTok account, at Goblin Mixtape, is one of the best places on the internet to learn about new and interesting TTRPGs and zines. I am very pleased to welcome to the show, Sam Lee. How's it going? Hi, it's great. Thank you, Brian, for having me on. That was a very kind intro. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. I, I tell people who listen to this, you like you get the full experience of me just like gesticulating wildly and stuff it's while great. I do this. It's I love the it. only yeah. way you can get into it. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you on. I love Anamnesis. It got recommended to me by friend oh, of the show, you. Elliot Davis, I believe. I believe that's how it came into my my sphere. And I had never read something like that. I never I'd heard of solo RPGs, didn't really have a good concept of what they are. Before we dive into solo RPGs as kind of like a broader concept. How did you get started in tabletop role-playing? Like, what was your entrance into this world? Sure. Uh, So the first time I ever played a tabletop RPG was with um, a group of friends. Late high school, we played Pathfinder. Um, And that was very much a, um, I don't really know what I'm doing. And my friend is picking my feats for me Mm because there's way too many of them and I have no clue what's happening. Um, But it was a lot of fun. Um, And we played like a handful of sessions. And then I didn't really play any until the second half of college. And then I got into D&D during college. Um, It wasn't actually until the pandemic um, around the summer of 2020 when I realized that there was like a whole wider world of RPGs out there. Mm. I believe that I first fell into that world because of Kickstarter, because I was browsing Kickstarter and I was like, what are all these other projects, all these other RPG projects? Um, And then I just kind of like spiraled from there. And now it's just taken over my life in the last two years. (laughs) So um, it's great. But in the best way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you got into TTRPGs, you found this foray into solo TTRPGs. Can you do me a big favor and define what a solo role-playing game is in a very like broad sense? Sure. Uh, I mean, the broadest of broad senses of it is that it is a it's a tabletop game that is specifically designed to play by yourself. You don't need a GM. You don't need other players. It is just you. Um, and I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ones out there, and there are some games that can be adapted for solo play. But typically, a solo TTRPG is specifically designed for solo play in mind. 
And a lot of these kind of tend towards something like a, a journaling experience that's kind of like a guided journaling exercise, kind of? Yeah, a lot of them do. Um, a lot of the ones that I've played do. Um, there are some other ones out there, though, that are a little bit more sword and sorcery, um, mm -hmm. you know, more stat block sort of stuff, kind of with that D&D flavor, but in a solo game. Again, it's like, I, I've, I've read Anamnesis. I picked up Thousand Year, uh, thousand year Old Vampire. Yeah, Thousand yeah. Year Old Vampire. I kind of read through that. It's a very cool... It's a it's it, it's a very cool thing because I I've talked with Elliot and other people on this show a lot about how really good games make it very easy for you to get into the game by like essentially giving you the building blocks to get into it like giving you sure. good building blocks to build a character mm -hmm. like uh, the playbooks and Wander Home like when you ask questions of each other yes I love those playbooks they're so good <laughs> they're so good yeah they're so good and like it helps you build that character so quickly mm -hmm. in the same like. 10 candles by like doing by making these like grand statements at the beginning into a tape recorder you know so much about your character immediately and these games do that really well i mean it's it, the whole mm. game is essentially just like guiding you through making a cool character yeah yeah and through this experience anamnesis just because it's a crazy word let me give you a definition <laughs> <laughs> yep literally a recollection of the past a remembrance of innate knowledge from a previous existence what is the kind of like broad topic of this game that you've created? Um, Anamnesis broadly is about you play as somebody who is experiencing memory loss. Um, and you gradually, as you move through the game, you learn more about your character's past. Um, but it's also about processing that past and coming to terms with it and moving forward with it. Um, so it's got a lot to do with identity, with reflection, um, and with moving forward. And did this game always start out as a solo RPG in the, like the journaling sense, or did this have like broader, uh, beginnings? I first, the, my very first idea that this kind of evolved into was a group game. It was completely different. It was a, a group <laughs> as, game. As all, as all things end up being, they always start as one exactly. thing, become a totally different thing. For sure. Yep. So I, I had this thought of a game where the GM has like filled out character sheets and the players have blank character sheets. And then through oh. play, the players gradually remember who they are and write in things in their sheet. But eventually I, I don't even remember what it was that brought me down the solo game path. I think because for me as a new designer, writing a solo game actually seemed um, very accessible because it was you only have to focus on one player right, right. <laughs> you, there's not a whole lot of balance and um solo games can also be pretty mechanically light so can group games as well but i i really liked the idea of making it into a solo experience and then kind of just through the process of design it became anamnesis we lost the character sheet we got tarot cards <laughs> it just kind of evolved into something totally different with a different um, a different mood and a different type of experience than I was originally thinking of. That did just give me the idea, and I think this is kind of where you're coming from, of like doing a session zero with everyone with blank character sheets and by the end of the session, mm -hmm. like everyone's filled out. Oh, all, that's like, like cool. You, discover, yeah. you start as like level zero characters and you end that's the session at level one. That's interesting. I like that idea. Uh, I'm, hmm. I'm probably going to do that sometime soon. <laughs> that sounds great. That's great, yeah. I love a... a 
dynamic session zero. Mm-hmm. So I have played a, a bunch of games, all of them, all of them, all of them involving dice or pretty much all of them involving dice or tokens. Yeah, sure. Tarot cards is an entirely new mechanic for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I will be honest, I was raised Catholic. At some point mm-hmm. in yep. my childhood, I like mentioned tarot cards to my mother and she got more serious than I've seen her in like her entire <laughs> life. And she was like, yeah. you can't use tarot, you'll invite the devil in our house. Uh-huh. And she went, yeah. this is out of character for my mother. So it like freaked <laughs> me out for a long time. <laughs> I am going into this. So um, the next episode, I'm going to play this game as a solo game and kind of record it as as kind of a radio drama. Oh, awesome. And I don't know anything about tarot cards. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I bought a deck from a, a, a shop. Perfect. I haven't researched them. If I go into this game, this first game, knowing absolutely nothing, will I be able to play it? Yes. That is the goal, anyway. (laughs) That is the way that the game has been designed. Um, Whether it works in that design, I sure hope so. But um, (laughs) it's I I really, really wanted Anamnesis to be um, accessible to people who are not experts on tarot, who don't know a lot about tarot. And in fact, when I first wrote Anamnesis, I didn't know a lot about tarot. I kind of learned as I was writing the game. So I, I think I only owned one deck of cards at the time, and now I have like four or five tarot decks. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, and so I, um, I, I have kind of some instructions in the game that are about that too, where it talks about how, yes, you can use like the traditional meanings of the cards, um, but also, you know, you can use a tarot guide, whether you're cards come with one or whether you use an online one Mm -hmm. um, or you can just look at the card itself and just be inspired by the art on the cover because tarot cards are so evocative and each deck that you play with is going to look a little different and you can just get inspiration from the face of the card itself so you don't actually need to know anything about tarot and hopefully (laughs) in my opinion in order to play Anamnesis. I do really like that it's a, a game that can be played by multiple levels of experience with the mm. mechanical aspect of it. Tarot cards are an interesting mechanic. I, so I, I may have may or may not have said on this podcast in general, what used to be a professional like close-up magician. So cards okay. are things that have fascinated me for a very long time. That's and awesome. So like, <laughs> I, I see a regular deck of cards as like a magical object mm-hmm. in the tr- in the, the real and the imaginative sense so these cards are even like more they, they trigger something in me in that like yeah this yeah. is what it's supposed to feel like this is like There's i'm gonna something go about them cool. being larger too they're like larger and heavier and yeah. like they just feel like they have more weight behind them um it's yeah i get that so so for anyone who hasn't ever held a deck of tarot cards it is a uh, like a longer deck than a deck of cards, and there are more cards than the 52 in the in mm-hmm. normal deck. Normally, they're like the kind of uh, cards you might be familiar with, which are similar to cards in a like regular bicycle playing card deck, which are the minor arcana. And then there is the major arcana, which is a selection of, of how many cards? 23? 22, I think. 22 cards that are very different, like the Magician, the Wheel of Fortune, the Hierophant. I believe that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> That always worried right. about mispronouncing it. <laughs> uh, and each of these has a significant meaning in some kind of uh, either divinatory or 
self-reflective way. So like looking at at, at, some, at a tarot card reading as you flip cards over, uh, it allows you to like kind of intuit something about yourself. That's one of the things that I love about tarot. My first understanding of tarot, um, I was not raised Catholic, but I was raised Episcopalian. Um, and so you know. my parents were not, they were not like, oh, no tarot cards in the house. But, um, you know, I grew up with kind of the impression that they were this like, divinatory tool in the sense of like, oh, like people use them to try to tell the future and like that there's kind of this weirdness around it. Um, But I had a friend like a couple of years ago who's really into tarot um, explain to me that it can be used a lot in that type of self-reflective way in, you know, when you do a reading, the way that you interpret that reading is really entirely up to you. And so it can bring out thoughts or feelings um, that you might not realize that you had before, or it might kind of show where your focus is. It can kind of provide some clarity um, or just some like things to think about. So I really like using them as a way to kind of process things and to kind of in a way, like problem solve, right? Like, is there is there something that I can get through a reading that is going to give me new ideas? So I did a, l- a little bit of research on tarot cards, just kind of like, because I also, in my youth, in my youth, in my <laughs> when I was raised, I also thought of them like you as like divinatory future telling, you know, mm-hmm. type things. And, and, and hearing that idea of kind of like looking inwards, someone once told me a thing that I've, that has remained true for me for a long time, that if you're deciding between two things, assign one heads and the other tails and then flip the coin. And as it is in the air, you'll know which one you actually want it to land on. Oh, I love that trick. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> yes. By the yes. time it hits your hand, you know which one you want it to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it I feels just like, like a complicated version of that. Yeah, I think so. That's a really good way to put it. I, I love the one where, I mean, the coin flip and then you see what it lands on. And then if you're disappointed by what it lands on, mm-hmm. you know that, you should actually be going with the other option, right? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. It is kind of similar in that way. I do think tarot is going to be a thing I explore more in the future, kind of in the sense Mm -hmm. that it was originally meant for, for readings and various things. But as far as the game goes, can you talk me through a little bit of actually playing this game? So it is a journaling game. You're going to be uh, turning over cards to uh, find prompts and then essentially responding to those prompts. The game is divided into five acts. Mm-hmm. Can we real quick run through kind of each act and roughly what a player is going to be experiencing in each one? Sure. So the first four acts are associated with a different suit of tarot. Different decks can have different suits, mm-hmm. um, but there's always going to be four suits in a tarot deck. Um, so you can always like reattribute them to different suits. But the traditional suits are pentacles, swords wands, and cups. (laughs) And so each of the first four acts of Anamnesis use one of those suits. So in the first act, your character wakes up and they take in their immediate surroundings and they also take in themselves. They, They might hear what their voice sounds like. They might look at the clothes on their body. They might notice a scar on their body. And so... It's really about like self-examination and examining your immediate surroundings as you are kind of first slowly trying to understand who you are and, and what happened. Um, and then the second act is about walking around town. So 
you are in a town or a city um, and you have been here before and you're very familiar with it, but you can't remember it. And so it's about what you might see, the buildings that you might see, the people that you might see as you're walking around and what memories those spark, but like what feelings they evoke. There's a prompt that's like you see a place of worship. How does that make you feel, right? Things like that. You see um, a a couple of parents with a kid. How does that make you feel? Um, And so it kind of brings you through like your relationship with this environment. And then in the third act, you find your home. So you manage to figure out where you lived or you stumble upon it and you enter your home and then you walk around your home. So you learn a bit more about yourself through moving through the rooms of your home, through looking at the books, looking at a journal, taking in the space. And then in Act 4, Act 4 is different than the first three in that it's more about processing what you've learned and how you are like coping with what you've learned. So it has prompts that are more about how different ways in which people process things. So um, one of them is about going and seeking out art um, and kind of like, what art do you seek out? How does the art that you seek out help with processing kind of what you're going through? Um, There's Mm -hmm. another where you write a letter to somebody that you don't send. Um, So what are the contents of that letter? What is that about? Um, So, and then, then the final act, you don't use the minor arcana, you actually use the major arcana. And essentially you pick one of the major arcana to represent who your character is now and you figure out what your character does to move forward. It's a very uh, like full circle type of experience because I know at, at the start you are given a shadow. One of the major arcana kind of represents you and then by the end mm-hmm. you get to now choose. Whereas... Everything up until then is reactionary. That one is yeah. the first step into a new space. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I really, um, I very much wanted the final act to be a choice that the player is making rather than a random card draw. Um, because right. it's, it's to kind of represent that character taking their future into their hands um, and defining their own identity. And I think it's also at that time in like kind of any character creation process, the, fir- the a good chunk of it is figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And then this is, now I know. Now I know yeah, what the yeah. answer is. Uh, I don't need to be prompted. I can just take it for myself. Sure. Very cool. I'm, I'm very excited to play. I always talk on this on this show about how there's no right or wrong way to play. If you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Agree. But... <laughs> I, I think it's it's the right way to go about these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a game. <laughs> it's a game. It's meant to be fun. But for for first time players who might be nervous to try something so different from something they've already played. Sure. Are there any tips that you would have? Either like how to get in the right headspace to play something like this, pitfalls to avoid to ensure that you're have the best odds of having a good gaming experience. I know this is a bit of a broad question. Um, sure. Yeah. But any advice you'd give to first time players of any solo RPG? I think that I would actually try to go into it without much expectations and especially without a specific story in mind. So Mm. a lot of like solo RPGs, especially these journaling ones, are ones 
wherein you create a story as you are playing. And I mean, the same can be said for other role-playing games. Um, But if you kind of know what you want the end of your story to be, I would recommend to kind of keep that a little bit loose, keep it malleable, because different stories are going to give you different prompts. And if you really kind of go with the flow of it and let it take you in unexpected directions, it can really lead to a type of story that you never really thought that you would write. It can lead to directions that you never would have found yourself in otherwise, and that can be really exciting. Um, It can also kind of broaden your horizons as a storyteller and a writer. So I think think my biggest suggestion would be to to just see where the game takes you instead of Mm -hmm. trying to tell a specific story. And then also to like take breaks. <laughs> you don't right. have to like play a solo game all in one setting. Um, a lot of solo games are designed to be able to play in one setting, but you know, some people really love to just completely immerse themselves in it for like four hours. I can't do that normally. <laughs> like normally I don't have a good four hour chunk of time where I, I want to play a solo game for four hours. Um, so I usually we'll break things up and just do a couple of prompts at a time um, and kind of write over the course of multiple days. Um, but then also like another thing too is with a lot of these games, they're called journaling games, but you don't have to write all of the entries. Um, I, I would say that record your thoughts in whatever way sounds most interesting to you. So You can write them down in a journal, but you can also create an audio log. You can create a bullet journal. You can even just think through the prompts. You don't even have to get them out anywhere if you don't want to. You can just kind of mull over them. So that would be, that would definitely also be a recommendation is like kind of adapt it to however you want to play it and to um, record it in whatever way you want to record it. It is fitting that a game that is this that that can take so many different turns Mm -hmm. and is so, I I don't want to say vague because it is very specific, but allows you to do so much also has so many different ways that you could possibly play it. Sure. (laughs) Very fun. This game's been out for about a year now, coming up on that? Yeah, about. There there was like a beta version that was out for almost two years now, which is wild. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but the, the kind of finalized version, it's been about a year. In that time, I'm sure you've heard either from like play, play testers or beta testers or just people who want to tell you about their games, mm-hmm. stories of, you know, what stories people came up with. I assume from something like this, you probably got a wide array of stories. Can you oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just give, me, give me a little sample platter just so people know that like there is not one thing that this can be. This can be so many fucking things. Yeah, sure. Um, I, it's been... Well, one thing that I've heard from people is how much the deck of cards that they're using impact their story. So Mm. one player used a deck of cards that had a lot of like cosmic horror energy to them. Okay, sure. And so their game ended up being all about cosmic horror. Um, I, I know other people who have played this game but have kind of used it to explore aspects of themselves. Um, and that was actually the, that's like the coolest thing to hear as a oh, game yeah. designer, I think. Yeah. Like it wasn't, I didn't write it with that intention necessarily in mind, but 
a couple of people have said like, hey, yeah, I, I use this to like explore an aspect of my identity that was just easier to do through like this third character. And it like helped, it just like helped them work through things, which I thought was incredible. I mean, it, it makes sense if you're going to create a game that the start of it, you have people scrub away their, their identity like a palimpsest sure. and then mm-hmm. rebuild it back up. Mm-hmm. People are going to take the time to explore parts themselves that don't rely on something having been there previously. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. <laughs> it is so cool. Um, so, so those some of the t- sometimes those games are a little bit more um, somber is not the right word. More serious, right? A little sure. bit, or, or a little bit more grounded in reality than maybe a cosmic horror story <laughs> will be. Um, uh, Cthulhu is around the corner. I, I don't know what you're talking about, but. Uh, so it's definitely, it's, there's definitely a lot of variety, um, for sure. There, there's been a couple of times where I've like facilitated games of anamnesis. It doesn't need a facilitator, but just somebody to kind of read off the prompts and bounce ideas off of on like a couple of streams and things. Um, and there was, um, there was one where, t- uh, that we adapted it for two players actually. And so both of the characters woke up in the same place. Both was of them this the, uh, the Planet Arcana? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Big, big um, shout out to Planet Arcana. I listened to their playthrough uh, and it's very, very good. I love that podcast just in general. It's um, very, I just started Arcana checking them great. out. Uh, yeah. Big shout out to Planet Arcana. Link in the description. Yeah, <laughs> They're fantastic. Um, I, uh, ironically, we had independently come up with the thought of collaborating with each other before we and then I like reached out to them like hey do you want to collaborate and they were like oh we're already talking about that over here <laughs> so it was great um I really like they do yeah you reach out to them and they're like oh we're already collaborating with you yeah. <laughs> we've already yeah. decided like I'm glad that you're on board now but. right yeah yep it was fantastic and that was like one of the I was I got really choked up during that session actually um because J and B are just incredible role players and um storytellers and so they basically told the story about these two characters slowly learning that they have like that in their past they had this incredibly powerful connection and they were also kind of like partners in crime and like those characters um were not only slowly uncovering their past, but slowly like kind of remembering those feelings. And then it, it ended in a very like bittersweet way. Um, and with those characters kind of going their separate ways. And it was, you know, just a very, um, very emotional <laughs> story yeah. compared to other ones that have been, um, I, I played this game with a friend and uh, they ended up telling the story about, like somebody who worked at an airport that was the size of an entire city and that there was this like creature at the bottom of the airport that this person had been feeding airport patrons to. <laughs> it was like real that. wacky. Yeah. So it's definitely, it definitely has a lot of variability. Um, I, I specifically wrote Anamnesis to be um, both genre and setting agnostic um, so that you can play it in any sort of setting any time period with any genre. One of the things I love about the the digital version of this game is it, it came with a PDF of the game with designer commentary on it, mm-hmm. which I thought was like, 
the second I saw that, I was like, oh, any game I ever create, I'm going to do that. That's such a it's great idea. Awesome. I, I got the idea from Aaron Lim, who did designer commentary for An Altogether Different River. That was the first time I'd ever seen it in a game. Um, and it was like a PDF that had like the sticky notes on it. Right. Um, and I read the whole thing and I loved it so much. And I was like, why are other people not doing this? <laughs> this is such like such a good idea. It's really cool. Yeah. So I really want to do it with my other games in the future. I just think it's... It's so, it's so neat to get that behind the scenes of designing the game and like to know what changed over the course of the game's life. And, and I know one of the things you talk about in there is so many of your initial prompts or even like scene setting pieces at like the beginning of each of the acts became kind of like time period specific. Like you'd yeah, say, you know, yeah. wallet or you'd say computer and all of a sudden that sets it in a very clear time. Yes. Um, it's cool to see those things be stripped out to make this as expansive a game as it has become like you can really play at any time and it's gonna work i knew from i knew about halfway through the game's design that i was like okay i i think i want this to be setting agnostic um and so i stripped out everything about technology um but then uh mark shepherd did an editing pass uh they are an incredible editor and um they were able to point out things like hey this one talks about mail and like that could actually you know that could denote a certain setting and i'm like oh i never <laughs> i never, never would have thought, thought about, about that, that one <laughs> just yeah so so there were there were some things that they pointed out that i just definitely would not have caught myself um and it was super helpful so yeah, they really they really helped with tightening that up for sure. Editors are great. We love editors. It's so so important. <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. They're, they're great people. They, pay they pay and love your editors. The games, yeah. <laughs> the 80s are over. And you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you, and you got touched by the weird, and it made you wild, and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com We love editors. Uh, we love whole teams on the show. Who else was involved in this uh, game? Because I know it, it starts out as just one person and then very quickly mm -hmm. it, you know, snowballs as you get illustrators and you get editors and you get fact checkers and all that stuff. Who are the other people involved in this project? Sure. Um, so the... Layout artist is Thomas Manuel, um, who is also a game designer and who also runs the indie RPG newsletter, which is I didn't put that together until just yeah, now. As you were saying it, I was newsletter. like, Thomas Manuel, like that, I know that name. Why do I know that name? Great newsletter. Yeah, I that was like the first 
RPG newsletter that I subscribe to. Uh, it's I'm still reading it. It's fantastic. Um, he does awesome work. Oh, that's so fun. Okay, that yeah, just blew he, my mind. Okay, great. now I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Uh, and then the artist is Victor Winter, and Victor just did, like, a truly incredible job. Um, I Victor's also, like, a very close friend of mine, and so it just is really meaningful to have their art in the game. And they just really captured what I was going, what, like, the kind of tone and the mood that I was going for so well. I don't know how they did it. <laughs> it, <laughs> but, is, it is hard to do minimalism well, especially yeah. when— the game can be so many things. And I mm-hmm. think these like very simple, but like impactful illustrations do really add to the game. It's very fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. I was originally going to use public domain art for Anamnesis. Um, and like, like kudos to public domain art. Like everybody should use public domain art. It's great. You yeah. should absolutely do it. Um, but I was like, I remember sitting in the car one day chatting with Victor being like, yeah, I got to find this public domain art for stuff. And I was like, wait, hey, hey, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you want to do the art for this? Um, and gosh, I'm so I'm so glad. And they're sitting did. there like, yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. So, You've been working on this for um, two years now. Come on. <laughs> it was uh, it was great. It was like fantastic. The whole team was amazing. And it was also Anamnesis was my first time working with collaborators on mm-hmm. a game. Um, and so I was very new to all of it. Um, and, you know, I, I asked some very basic questions <laughs> to, to Thomas about the layout and to Marks about the editing. And they were very patient with me <laughs> as I was kind of learning what was needed. And um, they were they were fan- they're all fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Anamnesis would not be nearly a fraction of what it is without them. There's uh, a quote that is hanging above the bathroom of a cafe that I like in the West Village that I, bl- I think it's attributed to Edgar Allan Poe. And okay. it says, go look a fool, tis the secret of a wise man. And I was like, <laughs> that's great. Like, you got to ask the dumb questions. It's the only way you, you learn how to yeah, do anything. absolutely. For sure. Going from working completely solo mm-hmm. uh, to adding collaborators, a- anytime you add collaborators into a thing, things just get better. Like, mm-hmm. four minds are just better than one. What do you think is the biggest boon to your games that has come from having more people involved in them, whether that be illustrators, layouts, editors? I think that it is really tightening up the like tone and the mood and the themes of the game. Writing, like prose writing, I'm I'm okay at, but it's not really my strong suit. I'm pretty good at writing like grammatically correct sentences, sure. right? But like a lot of flavor is not my strong suit in writing. So I can try to kind of put in that flavor into the text or write, in Anamnesis' sake, write prompts that kind of allow the player to create that flavor. Um, But having the art and having an editor and having a layout artist, right? Like it really helps bring out that, mood more that the game is trying to set um, because that's very difficult for me to do by myself. And so I, I think that that's kind of overall um, looking at like how everybody kind of helps with that process. I think that is one of the biggest boons. I love that. Also, I love using the word boon more in regular conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to do before we get out of here is talk to you about 
other solo RPGs that either you've made or, or are in the community? Because I know your um, TikTok account is very, it's just a great place to go to like learn about Thank new you. games. Uh, it's very fun. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm not a TikTok guy. I just don't, need, I know I'll get addicted. I don't need another thing. I'm already too addicted to too many things. I get that. Yep. I wasn't a TikTok person. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I, I learned about your TikTok through Elliot and oh, cool. it's just great. Um, Thank you. After listening to this interview and after listening to the the next episode, actual play, I'm sure everyone's going to want to play this game and they're going to get to the end. They'll play it three or four times or maybe five, <laughs> six, seven times. And they'll think, okay, let me, let me take a break from this. I'll come back in a week and play it 12 more times. Uh, but in that amount of time, I want to find another game. What do you think would be a good like next game after someone plays Anamnesis? Or if, if, if this type of game doesn't sound like exactly what's scratching their itch, What's another solo game that you would recommend someone check out? Sure. So um, if you do really enjoy Anamnesis, uh, there actually was just an Anamnesis game jam. Um, so a bunch of people wrote games or supplements inspired by Anamnesis. So there's a bunch of stuff out there that also uses kind of a similar framework and uses tarot cards. And uh, one of the, I think I think the first hack of Anamnesis was Yourself by Caden Ramstack. Um, and it is pretty much the same structure of anamnesis, but you play, it's a story about learning that you are a changeling. Um, and then, yeah, and it is so good. (laughs) It is so good. I played it and it's amazing. Um, so definitely recommend yourself. And then also a couple of, for something a little bit different, but still adjacent, Mm -hmm. I, a couple of inspirations for Anamnesis are The Wretched by Chris Bissett and The Portal at Hill House by Travis Hill and Lindy Ferris Hill. So The Wretched was an inspiration because of the way that it divides up suits. So Anamnesis is a little, is a little bit different in that Anamnesis, you go through the suits sequentially. So you go through one suit and then the next suit and then the next. Um, in The Wretched, Suits are divided up by categories. So one suit are prompts that are related to the ship, and one suit are prompts related to the crew. Um, oh. But that kind of framework really inspired the framework of Anamnesis. But The Wretched is a single-player game that is much darker okay. <laughs> than Anamnesis is, I would say. Um, and it is about a crew member of a spaceship or space station um, in which a monster, an alien creature, had basically killed the entire crew and you managed to shove it out of an airlock. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And and you managed to get it out of an airlock, um, but now your ship is really battered and the life support is going. And so you are trying to either fix your ship or hail down another ship with a distress signal before um, this creature gets in or your life support fails. Um, and it Love is, it. it's a horror game. It's a suspense game. It uses a Jenga tower to play, which is really cool. I have been wanting to play Dread because oh, when someone yeah. told me that there was a Jenga tower mechanic, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, baby, that sounds good. <laughs> Dread is another game that I own and have not read yet. I really need to read it. I've, I've um, read it and haven't played. 
I yeah, just gotta do it. Yeah, I, oh, it sounds really good. It sounds really good. Um, so that's, so that's The Wretched, and The Wretched is, is super cool. Um, and The Portal at Hill House is also like a cosmic horror game. Okay. Um, I'm just a fan <laughs> of the kind of Nothing cosmic, wrong with horror, cosmic genre. horror Yeah. Um, and it is about going through a house and you're trying to find three items within this house in order to close this portal that is hovering above the house. And so you first like draw out a floor plan of this house or you get a floor plan online and you can use one. Mm-hmm. And then there's different prompts as you go through the rooms. And the prompts are things that are more like a feeling. So it could be sinister or cold um, or lonely. Um, and then there's also like a an item that you find in the room or just a feature of the room. So like a leaking pipe or a circle of stones. And then you journal about your journey through each room of the house as you're searching for these items. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. It was the first solo game that I ever played. Um, and I just, I think it's what made me fall in love with the genre as a whole. Like it's, it's just an incredible game. It's very high praise. Yeah. <laughs> it deserves it. I'll put links to all of those games in the description. So when you've awesome. played Anamnesis to death and you, it's, <laughs> just, it's in tatters on your shelf. Uh, you can go check another game while you wait for your next copy to arrive in the mail. Sam, uh, before we get out of here, can you tell the people what else you're working on and where they can find you if they're looking for you online? Yeah, sure. Um, so what I'm currently working on is kind of a spiritual successor to Anamnesis uh, called, well, the working title, but is now probably the actual title, <laughs> is um, Death of the Author, which is, it uses the same it uses a very similar framework to Anamnesis, um, but it tells the story of a character who knows that they are a character and who is fighting for agency against the wills of their author. So as you play the game, um, you play through like the backstory of this character and then you play through kind of like the beginning, middle, and end of this story that the author is writing and you, the biggest feature in it um, that is different from Anamnesis is that you can use your skills as the character to slightly modify the prompts in order to kind oh. of like exert your agency over the story. Very cool. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, it's, it's, it, it, I think, yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. I think it's going to be a fun one. And there's a, like an Ashcan or a beta version of that out right now? Yeah, there's, I'm calling it a demo. Um, there's like a few prompts of the first three parts, um, which I'm calling chapters in this game. Um, so there's there's a few prompts for the first three chapters that's free and available if you want to check out what that's about. And if you're wondering where you can find that, you can also look in the description so there's going to be <laughs> links there. Yep, yep. Sam, thank you so much for joining very excited to play this game. Thank you for like guiding me through this this world or, or my first foray, uh, hopefully of many, into this world. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This was delightful. Um, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I am quite sure I will. It, it, <laughs> if, if nothing else, to have a, a moment to like play with some tarot cards, I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna dive in. It's gonna be awesome. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon Anamnesis. You can follow us on Twitter at My First Dungeon. And if you want to hear a little bit more from Sam and me, you should consider subscribing to the 20-Sided Newsletter, our bi-monthly newsletter about TTRPGs, game design, and cool things going on in this community. Subscribers will get access to extended interviews with our guests, as well as exclusive first looks at games that Elliot and I are designing, and so much more. And if you like the show, the very best way you can support us is by going to your podcast player right now, clicking follow, or leaving us a review. It really does help more people find the show and lets us know that you like what we're doing. And finally, as always, just remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye! If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.